Welcome to this week's episode of Weekly Devotions with Pastor James. My name is James, and I'm so glad to have you with us today. I've been so great to have so many uh, listeners and new listeners over the last couple weeks in the last about two months. I appreciate each and every one of you, and uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do so now. Uh, We only do this every once a week, and so you may be missing some episodes there. And uh, maybe missing something that the Lord wants to say to you. And so if you subscribe, it'll help you know, be notified when uh, we drop an episode every week. And so if you can do that, that would be a great blessing to us along with you. Uh, If you don't mind liking the episode, and uh, we'd really appreciate that. And uh, if you have any questions or comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. And you could connect with us over at guardingthewell.com. Uh, once again, guardingthewell.com website there for us. And uh, you could connect with us via email there. You could check out the podcast there. You could get uh, a blog that we uh, are writing there every week and get a little bit more information about me and uh, check out the bookstore too, the two books that I've written. And maybe another one in the future, but we'll see about that. I'll let you know about that. But hopefully you're doing well. And if you're like me, um, when I'm recording this, uh, well, when you hear this, just a couple a couple days before Christmas, and if you have kids like I do, they're probably getting excited. Uh, your schedule is getting full. Uh, my schedule is uh, not; it's beyond full uh, when you when this episode drops. But uh, we pray that you're doing well as you're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And with that, what we've been doing this month is we have been taking a look at Christmas through the eyes of some popular hymns. Uh, we've been doing that all month long, and hopefully it has been a blessing to you. Uh, these come from a sermon series that I preached a, about a year ago uh, that I just really, really enjoyed. I, I enjoyed getting into the songs and getting the background on some of them, all of them, pulling out what they say in the song and what it means. And I really enjoyed it. And I really thought about uh, what to share with you this Christmas season. And the Lord laid this on my heart. And so we're going to keep it going. And so far uh, this month, we've seen Joy to the World and Hark the Air herald angel sing and if you missed either one of them you can go back and catch that uh, episode but this week in this episode we're going to be taking a look at oh holy night a very popular christmas hymn Uh, and it is a it's a great song but there's also a great message in it and so i pray that it is a blessing to you and uh, we would love to hear from you and so you have a great uh, great christmas you take care Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, Last week I asked you to open up to Psalm 98, and some of you are very taken back by that because it wasn't a familiar passage. And so this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, uh, if you'd open up to Luke chapter 2, many of you are going to know this passage of Scripture uh, because it is the Christmas story. So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read through verses 1 through 20 this morning as a Luke chapter 2 is going to be our backdrop for uh, this morning's message. And so uh, Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20, and many of you know this, and so we're going to read it anyways. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register at Mary, 
who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let us pray. Father God, once again, we come to you this morning, thankful and grateful for you and your word and the, the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus, you came. And once again, this morning, Lord God, we come seeking you, seeking your truth and your life, and pray that you would guide me, that you would use me here this morning to teach your word. So, Father, that you would give us all ears to hear and hearts to respond, that you'd continue to work in us, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd meet us where we are that we would become better disciples of you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's really good to see you. Uh, it's really good to see you. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for those that are joining us online. Uh, and Bob, I know who meant, uh, sent you the message about wearing sandals, and I'm very glad uh, you're not up here. You weren't up here wearing sandals uh, today. I really appreciate that. Uh, but it's great to see you. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Bob already mentioned it, but we're 13 days away from Christmas, right? Uh, any of you ready? No, like none of you raised your hand, not a good thing, right? Uh, but anyways, uh, as we get closer to Christmas, we're only 13 days away, uh, thereabouts, um, I, my, mind, my mind never shuts off. And I know some of you are like me. Like some of you, your minds never turn off mine. I've had board of trustee meetings in my dreams, okay? And I'm not kidding on that, right? That, that has happened. My mind never shuts off. But what I often do this time of year is I often think back about past Christmases. Anybody else do that? It's just the memories of when you were a kid, when your children were younger, or maybe even last year. I, I don't know. But I often think back of Christmases in the past. So maybe it's just because of the memories of being a child and things along those lines at that time. But what I do in those times is I remember some of the gifts that I got as a child. I remember some of the gifts that my kids have gotten as a child. And there's something that I always remember, and maybe you could uh, agree with me on this. Think back to the day where your kids got a great toy or gift or video game or gadget, or maybe you did when you were a child. How did things go that day? It was amazing, right? You got something that you loved. And where were you? You're on cloud nine, right? You're on cloud nine. Your kid got something that they like. They're on cloud nine. I wanted to put the picture up, but I didn't. 
Bethany got a, a little suitcase a couple of years ago, and I got the greatest picture ever because she's just in pure excitement because she got a suitcase, right? Uh, but if I put that up, she would never talk to me again, right? But you're on cloud nine because you got that thing, whatever that thing was, and you're all excited, and you spend the day, you're playing with it, you're using it, you're figuring out how to use it, depending on what it is, and then a week later, how are things? Well, you still like it, you might still be using it, but eh, the joy and the excitement, it's not there, right? Then three weeks later, or three months later, where is that gift at now? If it's a kid, you can't find it, right? If you're an adult, you can't find it. You lost it, right? If you're a kid, probably under a bed collecting dust somewhere, right? Because, you know, maybe they're still playing with it, but not like they used to be, whatever the case may be. The car has a scratch in it. Maybe, who, who knows, right? The hope and the joy always is fleeting, isn't it? When it comes to a Christmas gift. No matter how great and wonderful it is, over time, you still may like it and you still may use it, but the emotions tied to it are not the same as it was on the first day. You all with me on that? Good, I'm glad. This morning, as we continue our Christmas series, we're going to take a look at another popular Christmas hymn. And what that is, is O Holy Night. You know it, right, O Holy Night? I Hopefully you do, because we've sung it in the past, and I actually ran into a couple of issues this week. I thought Morgan was going to quit on me. Um, because I opened up our hymnal, here at the church that, that we have, and I went to O Holy Night, and I started reading this, and I go, what is this? I don't know this version of Whole Holy Night. And then I looked at the top, and it says revised. It was a revised version of Whole Holy Night. I'm going, well, this isn't what the original words are. This isn't what people sing all the time. And then I start reading it to Amy. She goes, I don't know what that is. And so on Thursday, I texted Morgan, who's in the midst of finals at calls. And I go, Morgan, we're not using the words that are in the hymnal. We're going to use these words that I'm sending you. And I thought she's going to quit on me, right? She didn't, all right? But we're going to go by the original words this morning, and hopefully you know them. You probably don't know some of them because verse 2 is never sung, only verses 1 and 3. But we're going to be talking about O Holy Night this morning. It is a very popular one. And as I was thinking about this all week long, one thing kept coming back to my mind, and it was one word. And that one word is hope. All week long, I've been thinking about O Holy Night, and going into this morning, the only word that kept coming back to my mind was hope. H-O-P-E. Hope, hope, hope. Not a person, but hope. You see, hope, like the thrill of that Christmas gift, it wanes. Hope wanes. Hope is fleeting. And hope becomes fleeting because of, let's just say, life and everything that takes place in life. You may not want to admit it. If I pulled you to the side this morning, I said, do you have hope? Do you ever lose hope? You're going to go, I have hope. I always have hope. We never want to admit that we lose hope or that our hope is fleeting because we'll feel less like a person. Maybe we'll feel less like a Christian if we honestly go, you know what, my, my hope is, is waning. My hope is fleeting right now because of the things that are going on in my life. We don't like to admit that. But it happens. But here's the thing I want you to get this morning. One of the things about Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, is this. That Christmas ought to set ablaze our hope within us because of Jesus. And Christmas ought to keep that fire of hope within us going because of Jesus. And so I have two points for you this morning. We're going to have the background, and then we're going to have the hope. Okay? And where we have to start this morning is the background. The background is, Oh Holy Night, is this anybody's favorite hymn? 
right? Some of you, all right? You're going to have to tell me uh, what you think this morning. I, you can be honest, but I'm really curious because I've found so many different lyrics. I'm just curious, all right? Um, this is a great song that is sung every Christmas. Many of you know it. Most of us know it. It's very well known. Um, and I've also noticed, as I said, they don't sing all the verses. They don't. A lot of times they sing verse one two or three times in a row, and then that's it. But what's the background of this song? Well, in 1847, some say 1843, I'm not a historian, so give me a five-year wiggle room on that, okay? A Frenchman, I mean, give you his name, I'm not French, so I'm probably pronouncing it right, wrong, okay? You with me on that? A French guy by the name of Placid Capo. Anybody know French, right? We're going to say, we're just going to Placid this morning. It's his first name, okay? Well, Placid, he was a commissionary of wines, right? In this small little town, a little French town. And Placid, he was known in the town, in the area for his poetry. He was a poet. And he wasn't really known for actually going to church. He'd go to church every once in a while, but most people knew him because of his poetry. And it was probably really shock when the Catholic priest came up to him one day and said, can you write a poem for us to say during our Christmas Mass? And he was probably shocked, but he took up the task. And so he wrote a poem for the church to be said on Christmas Eve. Some think it was part of a dedication service of something in the church. And so in a dusty coach, as he is traveling to a capital city in France one night, Placid, he considered the priest's request of this poem. And using Luke chapter 2, mainly verses 4 through 12 as his background, he imagined witnessing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Have you ever done that? Stood back and you tried putting yourself in Luke chapter 2? Witnessing everything that was taking place, picturing the angels, picturing seeing Jesus and Mary and Joseph. But Placido, he, he used that as his background of Luke, Luke chapter 2. And the thoughts of being present on that night inspired him. And by the time he arrived in Paris, he had this poem written. I'm, I have the, the French name in my notes, I can't pronounce it, but he had All Holy Night written. And as he read it, read through it, he goes, you know what, this isn't just a poem, it needs to be a song. But he wasn't musically gifted. And so he sought out one of his friends who was musically gifted, a man by the name of Adolph Charles Adams. And Mr. Adams, he was a well-known classical musician. He had studied in Paris, his talents, people knew him. They came to him all the time for ballets and orchestras and all the things like that. And so Placid, he goes, can you put this, these words to music? And he, Mr. Adams, he read those lyrics, and he goes, okay. And so he did. The only thing about Mr. Adams is he's Jewish. And so the words of Old Holy Night represented and celebrated a man that he did not view as the Son of God, nor a holiday that he celebrated. So Mr. Adams, he quickly went to work attempting to bring music to this word, and he finally did, 
And then three weeks later, on Christmas Eve, this was sung for the very first time. Fast forward a couple years, Placido actually leaves the church because he gets involved in the socialist movement. The Catholic Church finds out that he left the church and they find out that Mr. Adams was Jewish and so they go, you know what? We're no longer allowing Old Holy Night to be sung in the church. And so they banned Old Holy Night from being sung in churches. But people kept it alive in their homes and things along those lines. And years later, an American by the name of John Sullivan Dwight, he came across the word and he goes, you know what? People in America need to hear these words. And he saw something else in this song that moved him. You see, John Sullivan Dwight, he was an abolitionist. He didn't believe in slavery. And he strongly identified with the lines of the third verse that said, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And so that text, that the slave is our brother, supported Mr. Dwight's own very view of slavery in the South. And so he published it in his magazine. And Old Holy Night quickly found favor in America, especially in the North during the Civil War. Now you fast forward a couple more decades. Mr. Adams, he's been dead for years. Placido and Mr. Delight were old men when on Christmas Eve 1906 something happened. On Christmas Eve 1906, a man by the name of Reginald Fezendine, who was a 33-year-old university professor and a former chief chemist for somebody you may have heard of, Thomas Edison, he did something that was long thought impossible. Using a new type of generator, Fezzantine spoke into a microphone, and for the very first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. And you know what he read? Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus. And he read the whole Christmas story. And then when he got done reading the Christmas story, he picked up his violin, and he played a song. And you know what song he played? Oh, Holy Night. The first song to ever go over airways. Ever. So what do we do with this song? What do we find in a song written by a man who left the church, was put to music by a Jewish man who did not even believe in Jesus, didn't even celebrate Christmas? Well, we thank God for the way he has used this song. But as we look at it, Luke chapter 2 as a background, we can see that Christmas, the birth of Jesus, ought to set ablaze the hope that we have within us because of Christ. And so we have our hope. We have our hope. See, we know Luke chapter 2. Many of you know Luke chapter 2. At least I hope you do. Many of us know Luke chapter 2 all too well. And what I mean by that is this, that this chapter, this story, has lost some of its weight, some of its glory, and because of that, eh, it's Luke chapter 2. Been it around it too long. Kind of like that Christmas toy that you got so many years ago. That you were so excited with, that you played with it for so long, and then it just lost its luster and its shine. And it kind of went off to the wayside. Luke chapter 2 becomes that to us. And so I, I pray that God would give us fresh eyes as we see the birth of Jesus this year. 
But at that, I need to lay something at your feet. The birth of Jesus Christ is really hard to preach on. You know that? A lot of pastors won't tell you that, but I will. It's really hard to preach on, and here's what I mean by that. I once heard that the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, is like a diamond. Meaning that, if you just look at a diamond and there's all these different angles on a diamond, that when you look at the birth of Jesus Christ, there's all these different angles to the birth of Jesus. That you could, you could see this in the birth of Jesus. You can see this in the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus tells us this, and the birth of Jesus tells us that, that it gets really hard to hit all the angles, to hit all the things that are associated and that come from the birth of Jesus Christ. And I felt that this week. You see, this poem, O Holy Night, what are the words that start? How does it start? O Holy Night... The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Somebody's like, I'm not going to keep coming if you make this like interactive. Last, last week and this week, Pastor. That night, so long ago, was a holy night. Why was it holy? It was a night, and it is a night that is set apart, because holy speaks to being set apart. It was that night that was set apart for one reason, and one reason only. It had nothing to do with angels. It had nothing to do with shepherds. It had nothing to do with animals. That night is holy for one reason. And that one reason is that Jesus was born. As he writes in the poem, Savior was born. Even in the birth of Jesus, the story of redemption, salvation, death, life is given to us. And we must not forget that. We must not lose sight of it. But the author, he goes on to say this. Long lay the world, you know the rest, in sin and error pining. What in the world does that mean? Right? Long lay the world in sin and error pining. I've had those words going through my mind all week long. Now, for you and I, we look at that and go, okay, we can perfectly understand what he means when he says, long lay the world in sin, right? We got that. Right? We can fully understand that. We live it, we see it, we understand that. It's the curse we talked about last week, enjoy to the world. We live it every day. But what in the world does the word pining mean? Like, is he talking about a tree? It's a Christmas tree, right? That's what he's talking about. It's the word pining, right? No, and this word is great. I sometimes I love old words. The word pining, some of you will use for your life this morning. I hope not, but you will use it as a description for your life right now. What the word pining means there, it refers to wasting away. It means the wasting away of human spirit. It is a world in darkness, but no light. It is a world in despair or a person in despair with no hope. It is the state that someone is in when they are just looking at everything that is going on in their life and their hope and their joy and their excitement and their strength is just literally being sucked out of them. Does that make sense to you? Some of you would use that word to describe your life right now. And we've probably all been there at one point or another where we could say, you know what, pining descripts, that's a very descriptive term for my life because all the joy, all the life is just being sucked right out of me because of everything that is going on in the world and in my life. 
You see, that word pining fit the time when Jesus was born. It fit when it was originally written in this poem, and that word pining fits now today. You see, in the days of Jesus, Jesus' birth, the land was in darkness. If you have your Bibles, just look to the end of Luke chapter 1. It's not on the screen, but Luke chapter 1, verses 78 to 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun, that's Jesus, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. One of the things that Scripture points to Jesus being is a light in the darkness. That the people living then were in great darkness, emotionally and mentally and spiritually, politically, economically. Their whole life was in this darkness. And they looked at life going, I have nothing because life is just sucking me dry. The word pining. See, life was hard then. The people were oppressed. They had the hope of the coming Messiah. But because of life and taxes and hardship and work, it was that people were just living in darkness. Like, eh. I don't, do you ever try to explain eh? Like, how do you explain that? But yet we all know what that means, don't we? We look at our world today and our lives, and we see people are hurting. Next week, I'm going to tell you our three-week mini-series that we're going to start the new year off with. You may want to be here for those three. But we look at a world filled with anxiety and depression, loneliness, confusion, anger. Not because it's the month of December, it's just because it's life. We look at a world filled with what? Worry and fear. You look at a world of, and see people attacking you because you have worry. You have a worry about something. You have fear about something. So instead of somebody trying to encourage you, they attack you. Many people are sitting in a place knowing that no matter what they do, someone is going to tell them that they did it wrong. Our world, our lives is pining. There's a Christmas song that was written in the height of COVID. Well, let me back up, because I really don't know what the height of COVID is. It was written in the first year of COVID. Within the first year of COVID, there was a Christmas song that was written. And the song starts off like this. It just doesn't feel like Christmas at all. It's so hard to forget about all that went on. Some friends lost their jobs and some family too. Some said it was down to you. So they start a Christmas song off. It doesn't feel like Christmas at all. It's so hard to forget about all that went on. Some friends have lost their jobs and some family too. The world now, like it was then, hope is fleeting. It's fleeting. Hope for many then and now is lost. Hope for many then and now is being held on by a string that is actually breaking. But the writer of Whole Holy Night says the next words. Till he appeared. And then a couple words later, he says a thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. You see, well, Luke chapter 2 as a background, as it was for him, we see this hope verses 10 to 11. In Luke chapter 10, verses, uh, Luke chapter 2, excuse me, verses 10 and 11. 
says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That'll be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And with those words, hope was rekindled. With those words, hope was lit. With those words, hope came. That amidst of their darkness, light came. Jesus came. That Jesus appeared in a weary world, rejoiced. Our world, you, me, we're weary. And we have lost hope because we have lost sight of the fact that the Savior came and was born to us. See, hope is fleeting when it doesn't need to be. Because hope came. You see, hope is not a wish when it's in Christ. When our hope is Jesus, it's a guarantee, for our hope is not made up of something that we're not sure about. Our hope is in Christ, and He is a guarantee. And we have hope of a new day with Jesus. And we have hope that no matter what is going on, because Jesus is greater than everything that is going on, but we lose hope when we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is greater than everything that is going on. We have hope because Jesus is in control of everything that is taking place. Everything that happens under the sun and even with the sun, Jesus is in control of. And we lose hope when we look at the world and we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is in control of absolutely every single little thing. He's in control of it all. And because of that, we should have hope because He knows the end. And in the end, those that are in Christ will be with Christ and all things will be made right and whole. We have a hope because hope came into the darkness. Hope came into the pining. We have hope. But why do we have hope? This is, you know how I told you Christmas is like a diamond? All these different angles and things. This is where that comes in. My mind was all over the place, which is never good for you. When the pastor's mind is all over the place for the week, it's never good for you, okay? I needed to stay on task because I'm like, why do we have hope? Hope came in the world. Jesus came in the world. Why do we have hope? How does hope... And all these different things. I'm like, I got to stay on task. And some of you are like that every Sunday. Pastor, just stay on task. Get through the message. We have hope for two reasons I'm going to bring up to you in light of the song, O Holy Night in light of the birth of Jesus. And the first one that stood out to me the most this week is found in six words in the song, O Holy Night. And what they are is this. And the soul felt its worth. We have hope. Because the soul felt its worth. We have hope for so many reasons. The one is, uh, I didn't put it on the screen, so that's my fault. We have hope because Jesus' coming shows our worth. Get that. Jesus' coming shows our worth. And because of that, we have hope. I've always been struck by the verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, when it says, a Savior has been born to you. I've preached on that. 
And I've always pointed out to you, notice it says, born to you. They're not speak- the angels are not speaking to Mary. They're speaking to shepherds. I've had four kids in the time that Amy and I have been here. I've ever came to you and gave you, showed you one of my kids and go, listen, this is Noah, Josiah, Beth, and Eli. They were born to you. Do you ever do that? No, because the kids were born to me. Well, and Amy, right? They weren't born to you. But what did the angels say to the shepherds? Savior born to you. The you in that verse is not Mary. It's mankind. The Savior has been born to you, mankind. See, hope is fleeting for so many because in the darkness, in the pining, we look in the mirror and we think, I have no value. I have no worth. Why am I here? I'm not good enough. No one cares. I don't matter. And so we try to find value and worth in all the wrong places. You can ask women who have been prostitutes and they will tell you that the only time that they have felt like they had value or worth was living that lifestyle out. You look at social media and you can find study after study that people, especially young adults and teenagers, do the things they do just so that they can get somebody to like their post, put a heart on it, to leave a comment, to share it. Because when that little notification pops up, your brain actually releases a chemical to make you feel better. And people have become addicted to being able to get people to leave them comments because it releases a chemical so they feel better about themselves and they become addicted to it. And so we have and we are raising up multiple generations of people that find their value and their worth in the amount of notifications they get, they get through via social media. So many, maybe you, think your value and your worth is tied to how you do in school. That if you do horrible in school, that you lost your value, that you are worthless. Or maybe some of you find your value or your worth at work. That you have to get to this point with that title, with that description, or do that type of job, because if you don't, you don't have a worth, you don't have a value. Or maybe for some of you, it's being a mom or a dad. That you feel like if you didn't and you weren't a mom or a dad, you didn't have any value or worth. Maybe it is you keeping a house clean. That if your house isn't up to your standards, then you have no value, you have no worth. Maybe it's buying the big, biggest present. I don't know. I don't know what gives you value or worth, but I know that there's something. You see, you and I, we find our value and worth in everything of the world. And when that source, when that which gives us value or worth is changed, is taken from us, guess what happens? We go back to the couch, we sit down, and we start thinking, I have no value, I have no worth. Because the source that you found your value and worth in 
is gone. It's changed. And because of that, hope is fleeting. And darkness is spreading within you and in your life. Christmas goes, no. The birth of Jesus goes, no, you have worth. You have value. Because a Savior was born to you. Jesus came for you. That Jesus left heaven to come to this earth to live a sinless life, to die in your place on the Christ, a cross, to rise from the dead for you. So that in him you might have forgiveness and salvation. Why? Ultimately to glorify God, but secondary. Because you matter. You matter to him. You have value to God. You have worth to God. I don't know who it is that is telling you that you don't have a value or worth. I don't know what is telling you, going, you only, or you're only worth something, or you only have value if you do blank and fill in the blank. It could be a whole host of stuff that would have us here far longer than Christmas. Jesus goes, you matter to me. You are valuable to me. That's why I came. Think about it. If we didn't matter, why would Jesus come? God could have glorified Himself in another way. You see, the darkness of this world takes away our value and our worth, and in that, our hope is taken from us. Jesus comes to set ablaze our hope because in His coming, it shows that we matter to the Lord Almighty. And if we matter to God, the Creator of the heavens and the universe, Oh, what should that do within our hearts and in our lives daily? Because we matter to Him. And so we have hope because Jesus' coming shows to us our worth, shows to us our value. But that's not it. There's another thing that the author puts in this poem, and it's this line. And this line you may not know. This is in the second verse, and so uh, I think it's in the second verse, so it's not sung all that much. The line in the song goes this, The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, born to be our friend, he knows our need to our weaknesses, to our weakness is no stranger. Do any of you know that verse from the song? This is one of the verses that aren't often sung. This got to me. The king of kings lay low in a manger. It's always something to pause on and think about. The fact that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, came here when he was born, he was placed in a manger for animals. Always something to pause on. Did you pause on it? Good, because we're moving on. But the author goes, in all our trials, born to be our friend. We're going to come back to that. But he knows our need to our weaknesses is no stranger. See, Christmas gives us hope, not just because it shows to us our value and our worth, but Christmas gives us hope. It should rekindle our hope because the birth of Jesus that God coming into his creation as he did so as a baby, taking on humanity, and because of that, he knows your need. He knows your weaknesses. He knows our need, which ultimately is redemption from sin and salvation from the wrath of God, but it's also the daily needs that we have in our lives. 
Not just that He knows our needs, but He knows your weaknesses. You see, Christmas shows to us, it should rekindle our hope because Christmas tells us, shows to us that we're not alone. We're not alone. The author of the book of Hebrews says it this way in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest, this is speaking about Jesus, who is made unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, and just as we are, yet was without sin. Christmas shows to us that we're not alone. Our hope is in the fact that God knows us. That God knows what this life is like because He lived it. Jesus, God in the flesh, lived this life. And He knows what it's like. He's gone through it all. He didn't go through COVID. No, they just had leprosy. Oh, there was no, no shot for that. It was leprosy. Once you got leprosy, over. You were going to die from it. No ifs, ands, or buts unless God did something miraculously. He went through it. And we forget it. See, there is a danger in that we forget the humanity of Jesus Christ. The other is true. We'll forget the deity of Jesus. And we have to remember that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. He is, as Paul says, the God-man. And because of this, Jesus lived this thing that you and I, we call life. He went through pain. He went through loss and grief. You see that in John chapter 11 when Lazarus dies and Jesus is weeping. Why does Jesus weep? Well, I'm going to answer that question in Sunday school in a couple weeks. But he felt grief. He went through it. Jesus went through people mocking him and saying mean things about him. Jesus went through paying taxes and Jesus took care of others. Jesus was a teenager. He went through all of it. And he did it without sin. And we think, oh, it was easier for him because he was God. You ever think maybe it was harder for him because he was God so he didn't sin? That he was in the midst of all of this temptation? Maybe it was harder for him. On the humanity side, not to give in to that sin and to that temptation? Maybe, I don't know. It's a thought. But he went through it all. Where are you in life right now? What's going on in your life right now? What is weighing you down right now? What is the burden? What is the life event? Because Jesus is able to walk with you through that. I don't know what it is, and I'm going to say this, I don't care what it is. I do care what it is. Well, I say I don't care what it is, and the fact is it doesn't matter. Jesus is able to walk through you with that. Does that make it come across okay? Don't send me an email if the pastor doesn't care about what's going on in my life. I do, all right? But Jesus walked through you with it. Have you ever had someone ask you how you're doing? And you go, well, I'm going through, and you just off a couple things, and they go, oh, yeah, I hear you. I'm sorry, praying for you. Have you ever had the thought go through your mind going, you have no idea what I'm going through? Any of you ever been there? Because you can look at them. You know their heart is right, their heart is in the right spot, and they really do care for you, and they want to go through you. But you know that in their life, they have never gone through what you've gone through. And you go, in your mind, because we don't say, go, I really appreciate the heart and, and, and the care, but you don't know what I'm going through. See, I can't come up to somebody who's gone through cancer and go, 
I know what you're going through. Why? I've never gone through cancer. I've never had cancer. Can I come up to somebody and go, you know what? I know what it's like to lose a loved one from cancer. Yes, because I've had that happen. I can say that, but I can't come up to somebody who's had cancer going, I can relate to you. I can walk through this with you because I know what it's like. I can't do it. I never had cancer. But Jesus, he can do it. Because Christmas, He came as a baby to grow up, live through life so that when things come up in your life, in my life, in our life, Jesus goes, you're not alone. You really are not alone. He goes, I know your needs. I know your weaknesses. Let me walk with you. See, that is hope and despair. Because often we will sit in the darkness and despair and the pining and go, nobody, nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody's been where I've been. And Jesus goes, I've been there. I'm here for you. Let's do this. Let's do that. You see, that's hope and despair. That's light in the darkness. All because he was born to be our friend, as the author of Whole Holy Night says. Is that accurate? Theologically, no, that is not accurate. From a theological side, Jesus was born to be our Savior, not our friend. Okay? you got to get that. But in that relationship with Christ as Savior, He becomes our friend. And as you're going to see, your big brother. In John chapter 15, verses 12 to 15, Jesus says this to the disciples. Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You all know the verses in Old Holy Night that says He truly taught us to love one another. I'm not talking about love this morning. I, I just can't. I don't have time. But Jesus says, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has, has no one than this, that, that He laid down His life for His friends. Look at, listen, this is Jesus speaking. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. Jesus looked at his disciples. He goes, you're no longer my servants. He goes, you're my friends. They still needed to listen to him as king, as we do. Friends. And then the writer in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter... Oh, did I put... I didn't put Hebrews up either. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. My wife is shaking. Welcome back. Shaking your head at me, right? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, you can look it up later. It actually tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. So Scripture paints the picture as Jesus is our big brother. That Jesus is our friend. Don't get me wrong. He is Lord, God, Savior, and King first and foremost. But in that, we become adopted into God's family. Brothers and sisters to Jesus. And He becomes our friend. Was he born to be our friend? No, he was born to be our Savior, but he does become our friend. And because of that, Jesus tells us and shows us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Christmas ought to set our hope ablaze because Christmas shows us, it tells us that we're not alone. 
that Jesus knows us. He knows what is going on in our lives, that he walks with us, he carries us, he gives us rest. That's hope. And no matter what is going on, we have somebody that we can come to, can sympathize and relate to us and what we're going through, and go, you know what? I'm going to carry that for you, or I'm going to help you carry it. That's hope. The hope of knowing that whatever tomorrow brings, Jesus knows it. He knows our weaknesses and all of it, and he's going to carry it for us or help us carry it, because we're not alone in this world that is just pining away. Our hope, our light should stay strong because of Jesus. And because of this, we go to the last few words of the song. Don't worry, Morgan, they're not the words you sent me. Christ is the Lord. You know the rest? Oh, praise His name forever. Because of the hope that is Jesus, because of the hope we have in Jesus, we ought to be praising and proclaiming Jesus to any and all that we see. That is what we should be doing. What a great gift, is it not? When you get a great gift, what do you do? Look, look, look what I got, look what I got. This is amazing. Should we not be doing the same with the greatest gift of all? Jesus and the hope that we have that is him. A pastor friend of mine put on Facebook this week uh, just a statement. I'm going to read it to you. He wrote this. He said, if I discovered the cure for cancer or ALS, it would be pure evil for me to keep it to myself and refuse to share it with the world. Jesus really is the hope for this jacked up world and the good news is too great to keep to ourselves. Share the Christ of Christmas. We live in a world that is pining away. That is looking for the hope that we have, the hope that is Jesus. The hope that we can give to them as we tell them about Christ. On that night, that holy night, Jesus was born. Hope was rekindled in a time of darkness and so... Let us allow the birth of Jesus to set ablaze the hope that we have in him today and to share that hope, that light in a dark and pining world. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you once again for today. Father, we thank you for the worth and the value that we find in you, not because of anything that we have done or have not done or we will do. Father, you just simply find value and worth in us. You created us in your image. We pray that you'd help us to find our value and our worth in you and not of this world. We pray that that would give us hope. I pray that you would allow us to see the hope that we have in you because we're not alone, that you know our needs and you know our weaknesses and that we can bring them to you and that you can relate with us and that you will walk with us, that you are not going to cast us to the side. Help us to share this hope that we have, to share you and all of it, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.